0: Welcome to the New Providence Presbyterian Church podcast, where we will share our messages from our weekend worship services. We hope these messages will inspire you and challenge you in your walk with Jesus. Well, indeed, as we embark on this journey for this week, it is the ultimate journey. The ultimate journey in Jesus' final days leading up to including his resurrection from the dead that we celebrate on Easter morning. So right away in the beginning of this sermon, I want to tell you what the focus of this sermon is. The focus of this sermon is that the ultimate hope, our ultimate hope is found in the ultimate journey of Jesus for our salvation. Let me say that again. Our ultimate hope is found in the ultimate journey of Jesus for our salvation. And so as we consider the meaning and significance of Jesus' death on the cross and his resurrection from the dead, it helps us to reorient our lives to look at the true hope that we have because we can so easily get focused only on the here and now, what's in front of us, the challenges that we're facing. And those challenges are real. God doesn't take them lightly. But sometimes we get caught in those challenges. We get trapped in those challenges and we get taken off course. But as we refocus on Christ, refocus on who he is, what he's done in his way allows us to reorient our lives. And so my goal in today's sermon is to help us to see life differently and to see it through the eyes of Jesus as opposed to our limited eyes, which though we can see things, but we're limited in what we can see. And so to do that, we need to get reoriented. It makes me think about my childhood growing up in Boy Scouts. One of my favorite merit badges was orienteering merit badge. I loved learning about a compass, Pulling out a compass, seeing just where you would go in terms of where the arrow would point. And that was interesting in itself. But then taking out a map and learning that you take that compass and put it to the map and, and orient it to the true north, it matches reality. It was one thing to do in theory. It was another thing to actually do in practice. And we went away on a camping trip, and the whole purpose was to go on this big orienteering course. And we had a map with all the different marks. So there are different teams that set out. And our team sit out, we set that compass to the map, and as you would expect, with young boys, our attention spans weren't that great. And so we started out well, but all of a sudden, we're like, ah, oh, do we really need to follow the map? Do we really need to use this compass? And of course, we got lost, and we'd have to backtrack, and over and over and over, our leader would say, stick with the map, stick with the compass, and reorient to be able to f- successfully follow this course all the way through. I think for me that's an image of life and following Jesus. So easily we can get pulled away. So easily, even if by just one degree, two degrees, we can find ourselves off in the woods, lost, trapped, down the wrong path. God, though, in his grace, constantly calls us back. It says, come back to me. Look to me. And as you look to me, you can reorient your life to walk in my ways, the true ways. The good news of Scripture in the New Testament, one of my favorite verses in Hebrews 13:8 says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is constant. He is the true north. As we look to him and what he's done, who he is, and his ways, we can reorient our lives. And so that's what we're going to do this week. That's the goal every week, but definitely this week as we enter into a mini-sermon series called The Ultimate Journey. Welcome to episode one. Right? Episode one is today, and it's Jesus entering into Jerusalem. We're going to look at the ultimate journey. Jesus, from his final days before he went to the cross, and then he was resurrected from the dead. And today we're going to look at Jesus' journey into Jerusalem. A well-known account. If you've been around the church for years, or if you've been around the church your whole life, this is a familiar scene. My prayer for you all week long is that you would see this and experience this in a fresh way. Brothers who haven't, this is an incredible scene. Audrey alluded to it in her prayer and description before as we look at Jesus entering into Jerusalem. And so today we're going to look at the account in the Gospel of John, one of the four descriptions of Jesus' life and ministry and mission. We are going to look at the Gospel of John chapter 12, that account of Jesus coming into Jerusalem. And to set the scene, it's a powerful scene. Right? Word has gone out about Jesus through his teaching and his healings and his impact. And you talk about way before the days of social media, Jesus went super viral, right? The news spread about him everywhere. Everyone knew about Jesus, and here he was coming into the great city of Jerusalem. And as he comes, it's not just his disciples, not just his followers, but great crowds heard about it and came. And so as we enter into this account today, this story, imagine being there. As much as the big parades that, we may be a part of like the Macy's Day Parade things. Imagine Jesus coming into Jerusalem and standing there and being there in that moment. We're going to pick up the account in Gospel of John chapter twelve, uh, verse twelve, and we're going to take this uh, this passage in sections. Starting in verse twelve, we we'll read this: The next day, the great crowd that had come for the festival heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, "Hosanna!" Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king of Israel. Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, as it is written, Do not be afraid, daughter Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. At first, his disciples did not understand all this. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things had been written about him? and That these things had been done to him? And right, so pausing there, as we think about this account, right here comes Jesus into Jerusalem. And as is recorded here, that people were waving palms, palms which were a symbol of welcoming a king into a city. It became a national symbol of God's people. And here they were raising their palms, and they were exclaiming, Hosanna! Hosanna, which means save now. And it became an expression of praise for God's people. When they yelled Hosanna, it was a way to praise God. And so there was a statement being made that this, something significant was happening. And that significance was that Jesus was the king, the expected king, and was coming into town, into Jerusalem. And they also exclaimed other passages from Scripture, from Psalm 118, 25, blessed, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. This would have been a psalm that would have been sung in the mornings of the Feast of the Tabernacles and during Passover and other Jewish gatherings. Here they were exclaiming these words of scripture, pointing to Jesus as the promised Messiah and the promised King. We see that Jesus is magnetic. He was magnetic by who is, not only his personality, his teachings. But as the word got out, yes, many accepted him, but Many, if not more, resisted Jesus and even rejected him. And so here's Jesus, very much so, a polarizing figure coming into the great city of Jerusalem. And he wrote in on an interesting way. He came in on a donkey. Right, here's John quoting from Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9, but speaking to the significance that the one coming in on this donkey was the promised king. Well, the excitement continues going down to verse twenty. We read this: Now there were some Greeks among those who were who went up for worship at the festival. They came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, with a request. Sir, they said, we would like to see Jesus. Philip went to tell Andrew. Andrew and Philip, in turn, told Jesus. What an interesting scene here. We see John recording this because he's letting everyone know that Jesus was a bigger deal than just for the Jewish people. Now the whole world, as even Jesus critics, were saying, the whole, the, the, Jesus' critics were saying, the whole world is going to him. And in fact, it's true. The non-Jewish people, the Greeks, were interested. They wanted to see Jesus. So they came to Philip. Philip, whose name was a Greek-like name, and he was from a non-Jewish territory, so they probably felt that connection with him. We tend to connect with people who look like us, act like us, and talk like us, and that's what these Greeks were doing. They found Philip. Philip went to Andrew. Still don't have any reason why Philip didn't go directly to Jesus, but he went to Andrew, and together they went to Jesus. Here is arguably the top of Jesus' popularity. What John is recording for us here, it's not just the Jewish people who are looking for the expected king, but those who weren't Jewish. The Greeks also want to see Jesus, Here is Jesus, I believe, at the height of his popularity. His poll numbers were skyrocketing. Everyone wanted wanted a part of Jesus. But Jesus, in his infinite, infinite wisdom, as the Son of God, here's how he responds. He could have responded, let's take Jerusalem. Let's win this battle. Let's set things right. He could have, in the midst of who he was, if there was an ego and he gave into the temptation of which he was tempted in the beginning of the gospel accounts in the wilderness, if he wanted to take the kingship as a human kingship, he could have done it. But not Jesus. Not his way. What does he say? He says this in verse 23. He says, Jesus replied, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Now, in the ears of those who were listening, we're like, yes, let's go, right? It's time to be glorified. Like, let's put you on the, let's put you on the throne. Let's set things right. Let's kick the Romans out. Because the hour meant the appointed time. So now is the appointed time. He says, for the Son of Man to be glorified. But for him to be glorified, it wasn't in the way that humans would think to be glorified. Jesus was going to be killed on a Roman cross. But yes, then on the third day, we resurrected from the dead and then exalted, which would lead to the ultimate glorification. But those people wouldn't have heard that. They would have heard, oh, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. But the Son of Man, what does that mean? Well, Son of Man was Jesus' favorite self-description. And the Old Testament pointed to the one who would suffer, but also the one who would come in glory. And Jesus perfectly fulfilled both, both. And that he suffered death on the cross, and which led to his glorification. So here the people would have heard, though, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. And they would have continue to think, this is the way we're going to win. This is what winning looks like. He continues in verse 24. He says, Very truly I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Anyone who loves their life will lose it. Well, anyone who hates their life in this world, will keep it for eternal life. Oh, what's going on here? This is not the victory speech. This is not the rally cry. If, if you wanted a, a pep rally, Jesus, he put a damper on that rally or c- rally really quickly. I mean, that pep rally, I mean, all the, the bands just dropped their instruments and the cheerleaders left the gym. What? He's saying, unless a a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, there remains only a single seed. What Jesus is talking about is what is going to happen to him. And what Jesus is alerting those listeners, both his disciples and those Greek curious followers, is that something different is going to happen. It's not what they expected, it's not even what they wanted. That the way of Jesus is a different way. What he's saying is the way of Jesus is the way of sacrifice. The way of Jesus is the way of sacrifice. It's a different way. It's different than what we'd want. It's different than what we would expect. It's not the rally cry that we would have wanted. And Jesus is saying his glorification is not going to come by force. It's not going to come by being political and finding the right angles to get his way. It's not going to to follow the ways of the world. And it's a warning to his disciples right there, I believe, saying, be careful what you project onto me. We see throughout the gospel accounts, over and over and over, Jesus' closest followers, no doubt, and no doubt the, the crowds as well, project onto Jesus what they think Jesus should be and who is Jesus should be and what he should do. Jesus doesn't play that game. He is who he is. He is who he is. And he says it's going to be a different way. He goes, my way is the way of sacrifice. My way is the way, actually, of death. The way of Jesus is the way of sacrifice. I think it's a warning for us today that we too can do that with God and, and with Jesus himself. We could project onto God what we think God should do, fill in the blank. God, I think you should be like blank. Or God, I think you should do blank. But God speaks for himself. God spoke for himself in Christ. He revealed himself, what he's like. He spoke to us clearly through his word. He, God speaks for himself. So we need to be careful. I need to be careful. We all need to be careful when we start projecting onto God what we think God should be like or what we think God should do. And just when we do that, God loves to surprise us. I think that's what Jesus is doing here. At the very height of his popularity, the whole world's coming to him. He puts a big damper on that party and says, like a single kernel of wheat, unless it falls to the ground and dies, it remains a single seed. But if it falls to the ground, and dies. It produces many seeds. He's pointing to what's going to happen to him on the cross. And he elaborates more on it with words which seem really kind of odd to us in our ears in the 21st century. And this the first part seems to make sense. If you love your life, you're going to lose it. Right? He says this. He says in verse 25, anyone who loves their life will lose it. Meaning if you hold on to your life based on your terms, your ways, you're actually going to lose it by, by gripping it, by trying to control your life. The more you do it, the actual less control you have. That part seems to make a little sense. The second part, though, less so, but while well, anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. What does that mean? Right? A biblical, especially New Testament, description of hate speaks less about the feelings. When we think about hate, we, just like love, we think feelings in our 21st century. But the word actually describes more of a separation or a letting go. And here Jesus says, unless someone's willing to let go of their life or to separate themselves from a life where we're in control and God isn't, it's like unless we hate that life and separate ourselves from it, if we do that, we'll actually keep that life for eternal life. And that's exactly what Jesus was about to do. He was about to let go of his life for the greater good, ultimately for our salvation. So what does that mean? What does that look like Jesus picked up? Uh, specifically a way to show this, and he did it in a way which would have probably befuddled everyone at that moment. He comes in on a donkey. What is going on here? He comes in on this donkey. And here in the Gospel of John, the other gospel accounts, points to Zechariah 9.9, 9, right, where we read this prophecy, this description. In Zechariah 9, nine, the prophet says, Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and victorious lowly, and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foil of a donkey. Here, speaking to humility, that God is going to establish his rule and his peace, not through force, not through power, not through politics, not through the ways of the world, but through lowliness and humility in a way that no one would expect. And it would come, it would come by letting go of his life as opposed to holding on to it. So what if... What if from this account it's true that when we oftentimes think about God or think God, we think he should be like, maybe off the mark. Maybe like turning that compass or turning, missing that compass and having that map turned by one, two, maybe five degrees that we find ourselves walking down the wrong direction. God invites us to reorient our lives based on how he describes himself. That the way of Jesus is the way of sacrifice, not of power, not of domination, not of politics, but through a service and laying down of a life. This passage, and this account, raises this question. This passage and this account makes us question how we see God. I know God had to mess with me in this way a couple times as well, and He actually used this passage over the years. And I debated doing this or sharing this because it's one of those things that um, it's very personal. Um, years ago, I had the opportunity to meet with a spiritual director. His name is Sam Hughes. He's also a close family friend. And he took me something called, called, took me through something called the Ignatian Exercises, right? right? St. Ignatius of Loyola had these exercises where he would, part of it would invite people to go through the gospel accounts, read them slowly, and pretend you're there. It's a really cool experience. Like you read it slowly, you read a couple times, and then the way it is, you imagine that you're there. What would you think? What would you feel? What would you say? And you imagine yourself there in, in the spot. And then, as you do, just journal. Write down what you see, what you sense, and see what comes, comes to your heart and mind. And then it gets kind of freaky. And I say that word intentionally. Sam's like, now this is where it gets really interesting. Pray and ask God, what would it be like to talk to Jesus in that moment? What would he say? How would that interaction go? And the purpose of this exercise is to help learn how to relate to god not that it's obviously scripture or some type of vision but just see what comes to mind and so i did that with this account years ago and it was in a time where in my church in virginia there was lots of struggles but we were start, things were starting to go well and i and some of you know i tend to get a little excitable and so i was like this is what now we're starting to win <laughs> and winning feels really good losing doesn't feel good winning feels great i love to win and right at that moment i came across this same passage. It was actually the account of Luke. Um, and I want to read to you what I wrote down in terms of this encounter. So I imagined myself being there and seeing Jesus on that donkey going into Jerusalem. And I wrote this. Jesus stops the colt and gets off and pulls me aside. He has something to say to me. Jeff, I know this is exciting and I do not disagree with you But remember my teaching and beatitudes. Yes, this is a breakthrough moment, but don't expect it to always have these these kinds of moments. Remember, most of our time together involved daily struggles and serving people and loving them. Moments like the transfiguration and this approach to Jerusalem are rare. Savor them. Praise God and thank God for them, but don't expect them. Remember that Peter wanted to put up tents for Moses, Elijah, and me. You want to do the same thing because you enjoy the big moments. I love you for that, but I want to help you see the bigger picture. Before long, this winning will turn to what looks and feels like losing. But the losing will actually be the greatest example of winning ever. That is how I work. My ways are not your ways. Your ways are not my ways. I want to teach you my way so you can walk closer to me as my follower, my disciple, and my friend. Let's enjoy this moment, but let's not make it into an idol or expect it. Stay close to me. Don't get sucked back into the crowd. That may seem easier, but you will not be as close to me, and that's where I want you to be, and you really want to be. Let's go. Jesus gets back on the donkey and continues to ride towards Jerusalem as the people joyfully praise God in loud voices. He turns, looks over his shoulder, and winks at me. I don't know what you think of that, but, um, but God used this account to turn things upside down for me. Uh, that I too, I can look at God and put on to God what I want him to be and what I want him to do. But he has another way. And what a perfect season, all right? This week, as we go through this journey, starting today, as Jesus is going into Jerusalem, eventually be, have his last supper with his disciples and then betrayed by Judas. Ditched by all his friends, abandoned. Left to die on that Roman cross. But that's not the end of the story. On the third day, he was resurrected from the dead. What a perfect time for us to reorient our lives and our vision of who God is based on his way, not our way. And that's the invitation for this week. I know it's an invitation for me too. So what does this mean for us today? I believe that God invites us to reorient our lives according to the way of Jesus. And to slow down and do that. And to start by asking God, where am I off course? Do that this week let this season, as we move towards Easter, at the resurrection of Jesus from the dead, this week, ask God, where am I off course? And then ask specifically, is there something that maybe I'm trying to control? Something where I'm trying to hold on to life and you're saying, let go. Surrender it to me. Or maybe there's something specific, there's an idea or picture of who God is in your mind that God is saying, that's not who I am. You're making me out to be someone that I'm not. And surrender that picture to him that idol to him and say, I want to know you for who you are. It's like when you have a relationship with someone and you think you know something about them and then you learn something new, it, it allows for a greater breakthrough in that friendship and relationship. That's my prayer for all of us this week, this Easter season, that something will come to mind, something that will allow you to have that breakthrough, have a better sense of who God is. And to say, God, here I am, take this from me. I let it go. Right? Trusting your way, looking to you for that next step. I believe we all need grace to do this. But Jesus is going to meet you with that grace. He wants to show himself to you. He wants you to know him for who he really is. Right? The disciples thought they knew who he was. The, the crowds thought they knew who Jesus was. But Jesus put an end to that rally cry pretty fast. And he said, unless a, this single kernel of wheat dies, falls to the ground and dies, it remains one seed. But if it does, it produces many seeds. And he pointed to his life. Again, the ultimate hope is found in the ultimate journey of Jesus for our salvation. And today was the first episode, the beginning of it. Uh, May God meet you in that. And let me give you one thing to remember, one thing to do as we finish up and some questions. One thing to remember is this, the life-transforming hope of Jesus is found in his ultimate journey and provides the way for us to reorient our lives according to God and his ways. Take a fresh look this week at this journey of all that Jesus went through. And maybe for the first time, have a real sense of who he is. Or maybe if you've been following Jesus for many years or part of the church, may he show you something different about himself. One thing to do, and I went mostly specific here, but I'm going to generalize it. Identify something in your life that you're trying to control. And with God's help, seek to surrender to him while trusting that he could bring about something new. Um, as I reflected more, that's almost for another sermon. But Because I really think the, the focus of this sermon is don't make God out to be someone that he's not. Um, but still, if there's something along those lines that you're trying either to control God or control something in your life, let it go to Him. And see what happens this week as you put that into practice. Um, there may be something, as you look towards an uncertain future, that you're not sure how it's going to go. Um, I know per, I'll share personally, I know many of us are feeling it. There's lots of changes in our church right now. Three beloved people are retiring. Right, Maury Fryer, Mike Flavin, and Colleen Fletcher. All retiring. And so it's change. And change is scary. And that's where God invites us to bring all those anxieties to Him. And in many ways, I know for me, I want to control. I don't, I want, I don't want Mike to go anywhere. Neither. Me neither. Yeah, Audrey. <laughs> I don't want Colleen to go anywhere. I don't want Maury, Maury to go anywhere. But I have to trust God's moving into the sermon in their life. And some ways to recognize that, yeah, even, you know, even though it's physically impossible that Mike and I can serve together for 40 more years. unless Well, actually, Mike could live that long. But that, and Colleen, too. But, that, um, but I have to let, just like Jesus talked about that kernel of wheat fall to the ground and die, my own personal desires, and to release them to their next chapter. We all need to do that as a church, though it's gonna be hard. And that's, maybe that's what it is for you this week as you pray and think through these possibilities. Whatever it is, just let go of that control, let go of that image of God and believe and trust that he has something new in store for you individually and us as a church going forward. Though we may not know exactly what that looks like. Um, what's an ex- some questions for reflection as we finish. What is an example of something, again, you're trying to control or make happen that God's calling you to release and surrender to him? Number two, would be what is something new that God could bring from letting that fall to the ground and die in your life? Number three would be How can the death and resurrection of Jesus provide hope for you as you wait on God's help in this? Think about those questions as we reflect on and Imagine, imagine what that will look like to not hold on to life, but to let it go. To not hold on to an image of God that's not him, but to let it go and let him speak for himself. And see who he does this week as we walk in this ultimate journey. Starting today, through the week, Monday, Thursday, in the sanctuary, it's gonna be an incredible service of reflection, Colleen's leading that service. You don't want to miss it. We'll have communion together. Good Friday, 7.30 p.m. in the tent. Mike Flavin's leading that service. You know he's not messing around. It's going to be engaging, and it's going to leave you truly understanding the significance of the death of Jesus on the cross. And then finally, Easter Sunday morning in the garden. It's going to be the ultimate sunrise, followed by the ultimate victory celebration, 10 a.m. in the tent on Sunday morning. As best as you can, come and be a part of each of those. It's a fully experienced the ultimate journey as we consider what Jesus has done for us this Easter 2022. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for your amazing grace. Lord, you alone know what we need and what's been shared in the sermon. I pray, God, that you would do a mighty work in each person's life. God, meet them with the grace. Meet them with your love. And Lord, thank you for how you responded to not only your disciples, but to the crowds. And Jesus, you shared that the way, your way, is the way of sacrifice. So teach us about that in the days ahead as we move through this week, through this ultimate journey, moving towards Easter Sunday. But help us not to get to Easter too quickly. as we reflect on your love and your sacrificial death, may that impact us, not only for this week, but for the months and years ahead. We praise in Jesus' name. Amen.